Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Morning. Um, preach today is going to be uh, pretty basic. It's going to be pretty obvious. Uh, it may inspire you to go out and do your bit. I know someone's been playing with this Bible. Look. Dear, oh dear. There you go, that's my one. Yeah, it's going to be uh, pretty basic. It's going to might inspire you to do, uh, do your bit. I hope it does. Uh, you may do what so many other people do, just nod and smile, go about your business, cook your roast, watch TV. But this value doesn't need covering because it's the value that changes lives. Um, the value is um, a church which is serving and empowering the poor within its own ranks and beyond. Now I want to talk about various aspects of this topic, but I want first to bring to the forefront of the preach the fact that my wife made me do more work than I wanted to. Uh, this was because last night... Uh, we decided that uh, one episode of 24 was enough, and uh, I asked Abby if, for the first time ever, she would like to read my preach uh, before I uh, did it this morning. And she read it, and half an hour later she came back and said, it's good. Very, very good. I like it. But, and then my heart begins to sink, I said, no, it's not just grammatical errors, errors or, or, or blasphemy or anything like that. No, she finds an entirely different approach to the value itself. And leaves me wondering, at 11 o'clock last night, whether I should consider rewriting the entire preach. And what she did was she said that the way she interpreted the value was to view the word ranks, so a church was serving and empowering the poor within its own ranks and beyond. She viewed the word ranks as a word for army or military, uh, military ranks, or however you might want to phrase it. Uh, so by this token, we should empower both ourselves and the people outside of our church. And we talked about how the church is an army for God, uh, the whole armour of God thing, the various elements that are attached to that. However, I viewed the word ranks in terms of uh, ability. You know, they ranked high in the scores, something like that. Um, and so it took the preacher in a completely different way. And, and I thought about it for some time and I decided that it was only fair to completely ignore my wife and continue with what I was going on about. <laughs> But that's not to say that Abby wasn't right, because she was. You know, I hadn't even considered uh, that interpretation. So it showed me how one misinterpreted word can completely change uh, everything, basically. So if that's a train of thought that you want to take on, uh, Abby has said, by all means, go talk to her. She would love to delve into that. But I want to look at my interpretation of this value, and I want to look at it in two parts. Firstly, we're going to look at the first part of the value, a church which is serving and empowering the poor within its own ranks. So first off, we need to determine what the word serve means. I mean, it's fairly logical. To serve is to give yourself in an area to one or many. To serve is to work under the authority of the one you wish to serve. Fairly simple stuff. But we also need to understand what the word empower means. And do you know the word empower shows up in the Bible four times? Twice in the New Living Translation, Isaiah 45.1 and Ephesians 3.16. The Ephesians verse being... I pray that from his glorious and limited resources, he will empower you with his inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. It crops up again in uh, the common English Bible in 1 Peter 5.10. 
It says, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, the one who called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, empower, strengthen and establish you. And then it finally turns up again in the Holman Christian Standard Bible in Revelation 11.3. But that's about Satan empowering the beast or something like that. And I thought it's probably not a good idea to bring that up. So, I originally looked at this, at the word empower as meaning to help. Then I thought, why not put help the poor as a value? So I looked it up, because I like to be certain of these things. And there it was, in plain view, empower to give authority to. So I get to thinking authority. You know, that's a word that's used over and over and over again in the Bible. And and sure enough, there it is mentioned over and over again in the Bible. And I'm going to make reference to it, but not just yet. So I think to myself, right, I know what empower means now. So the value of this value, sorry, for the church, is a church which is serving and giving authority to the poor. But then I get to thinking, who are the poor? I mean, define poor. The Oxford English Dictionary says, poor is lacking sufficient money to live at a standard considered comfortable or normal in a society. Another definition being deficient or lacking in. So there are different definitions of poor. We're all poor uh, in one way or another. Uh, We each lack or are deficient in something. So how can we empower those who we've got no idea whether or not they are poor in a particular area? You know, I try to think more and more about it, and eventually I discover that I've confused myself. So, a light shines in, thankfully. I get to thinking, if a man has nothing, no shoes on his feet, no home to go to, no food, no job, if he comes up to you and he asks for money, would you give him money or the gospel? There's a guy called Simon Pettit, who leads uh, some of the New Frontiers churches in Cape Town, or he did, I don't know if he still does. Uh, And he did a a preach many, many years ago that shook the foundations of New Frontiers. And a part of that preach was uh, was this. He says, the gospel is good news to the poor. It just is. You can spiritualise it. You can try and get under it, over it, round it. You can explain it away, but it is. It just is. Luke 4.18 says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. And John 10.10 says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So I get to thinking, yeah, given a choice, I would rather give someone the gospel over money, any day. But then something else happens. You know, I was so sure that I was right, you know, that the gospel is all you need. And I think to an extent it is. But I was visited by some uh, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, about a week or so ago. And it made me think twice. I invited them in for a cup of tea because I'm not the sort of person who can just shut a door on someone's face, no matter who they are. I mean, even if they had a shotgun, I might offer them a chocolate digestive. And we get to talk about this, that, and the other. <clears throat> I mentioned this preach, and it comes around to, to people in Africa. And I said something along the lines of, I'm going to preach on how we can help these people, preach on what they need in order to be helped. And I talked about empowering them. And, and then I realised what I, what I was saying was that all these people needed was the gospel. And I considered for a second what I'd said, and then the clincher for me was one of the JWs said, yeah, it's important to prioritise, isn't it? The gospel should always come first. But the way they said it, it seemed like they would never, in a million years, help these people. Suddenly my analogy of a man with no shoes, no job, no food, no clothes, is torn to pieces. I don't want that guy listening to me about God. I mean, why should he listen? I've done nothing for him. 
JWs are renowned for, for being a people who do nothing but talk and talk and talk about people to, no, about God, sorry, to people who really don't want to listen. There are obviously other aspects of Jehovah's Witnesses that uh, aren't appealing either, but that's, that's something else. But the main bugbear of the, the, the JWs is that they keep harping on about God on people's front doors. And I get the thing that I don't like it when they come to my door and start preaching at me. And I'm well off both materially and spiritually. So what about all those people who aren't so well off? materially or spiritually. Yeah, the image I had was of a Jehovah's Witness in a suit in the wilds of India or something convincing a homeless child with no arms that they need their sins forgiven and to believe in God. I thought that's, I don't know if that's right. But then I thought to myself, wait a minute, God is in me. The only way for these people to know God is for me to go over there and bring God to them. And the only way that I can show them the love of God is to show them the love that I should have for them. And I'm not talking about going around hugging three million Africans. You know, I'm talking about helping them with what they need. Yeah, they need God, but if, if children are out there dying of dehydration, dying of starvation, God's love isn't going to give them much hope, particularly if all they've experienced is pain. If they've experienced pain, they're not really going to appreciate the word of God. They, they are not having life to the full. You know, we were approached by a man in town the other day who attempted to persuade us to give money to a homeless charity. Shelter, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. And we had to decline because we only had pound thirty, and that was going to go on washing up liquid. Uh, but for a start, doesn't that put it into perspective? Washing up liquid over the homeless. Anyway, he threw facts and figures at us, and I can't remember many of them. But I remember one, he said there are 130,000 homeless children in the UK. Not people, just children. And I thought to myself, we could do so much just in that. 130,000 kids, homeless. We could join the charity as a church, or, or set something up ourselves, or with another church. You know, the possibilities are endless. So to refer back to the first part of the value, a church that is serving and empowering the poor within its own ranks, I think we have a duty to serve those who are less fortunate than ourselves, in a society that, let's be honest, for the most part, overlooks them. But what does it mean within its own ranks? And I ponder and I think because I'm, I'm good at pondering and thinking and I've come to the conclusion that the meaning of the value to empower the poor within the ranks of the church means within the capabilities of the church. I.e. on a physical level or an emotional level within our capabilities as mortal human beings. Now this train of thought is actually quite logical because I mean how many of us here would, uh, if we saw a blind man trying to cross the road, would we ignore him? How many of us would pass by a lady who's just fallen off a bike in the middle of the road? How many of us, if we saw someone sad, would try and help them out? I mean, if you have a true Christian spirit about you, you couldn't help but stop for these people. I mean, I know I would, and I've little doubt that, that you would too. So why talk about it? I mean, we do it already, don't we? I mean, I think that most of us do. But like Abby was saying, people need to be reminded that this is the case. It's good to go over the basics. To go over the stuff that we already know. It reminds us of what it is to be a natural Christian. When we can uh, do Christian things without even thinking about it. But how do we empower people? And that isn't something instinctive, is it? That's something that takes time and patience. Dedication to the cause. It's teaching someone or a group of people the know-how of a trade. Or a problem. 
You hear the stories, don't you, about the Seema, the poor seven-year-old girl out in Africa who's got to travel five miles a day for clean water. What are you going to do? Are you going to do the walking for her? Or are you going to dig her a well in her village? Let me use another example. Uh, when I was at university in Bedford, uh, my housemates and I did uh, a lot of work on the house that we were renting. Uh, usually it would revolve around uh, putting shelves up, uh, repairing walls, such like. And if ever I needed thing, these things doing, I would uh, I'd need to get someone in, or I'd have to call my dad or my granddad and ask them how to do it. Now, Dad could choose to, to help me in each individual case that I asked him to, but that's time out of his day, you know, to do stuff that I actually had the potential to do. I just couldn't because I hadn't learned how. So when I finished my degree, the opportunity came up to renovate a house in Rosington. My Dad used this opportunity to teach me the basics of DIY. And now, if ever I need to, to put up a shelf, I can just do it. If I need to put in a new bathroom, I know the basic uh, principles behind uh, grouting, tiling, plumbing, so on. If I hadn't spent a year renovating that house, I wouldn't know how to do these things. When Abby and I get a new house, and, you know, stranger things have happened, there are things that we'll need doing. And I now know how to do a lot of them. And if I didn't, we could end up forking out thousands of pounds in handyman. Give a man a fish, and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish, and he'll eat for a lifetime. And isn't that the truth? He's teaching with a view to expand horizons for provision for others, for them, by them. Have any of you uh, ever seen The Mission? Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a fine example of people taking a tribe, uh, in this case of uncivilised people, and introducing them to a way of life that provides for them in the long term. It might be in house building, harvesting, instrument making, whatever. Some say it's destructive. You know, taking someone out of the natural environment that they're surviving in, uh, making them aware of what might generally be termed as Western civilization. But in the, in the film, The Mission, it was an act of safety where the tribes were under threat of having their habitat overtaken. They would effectively become slaves of those who, who had over, overtaken their territory. In this case, I think it was the Portuguese. Now, this, of course, is only one example of people going out of their way, even sacrificing themselves to help the poor in the name of God. So what can we do? And how do we go about doing it? I mean, it's motivation, discipline. You know, we need to want to help people. We need to want to teach them how to survive in a world that doesn't care. Until we have the love and the passion behind our work, it's meaningless. It meaningless, sorry. And it'll ultimately fail. We've got to want to help these people. And I think we probably do for the most part. Uh, Abby showed me the word for today. Uh, Wednesday, I think it said, wasn't it? And in it it said, when Jesus asks us to love people, help the needy, give our finance, live clean lives, extend forgiveness, and bring others to him, our love should motivate us to obey immediately. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So I suppose, really, the next bit is getting out there. Putting things in a few pies, see what comes out. I mean, who knows, in a year or two, Chris and Jackie might be uh, taking six months out to, to help serve the underground church in China. Tim and Catherine may be building schools out in Africa. Colin and Carrie might be doing missionary work in Bulgaria. Rachel might be holding youth events across Yorkshire. 
The millers might be up in Scotland helping the unemployment figures go down. I mean, we just don't know. And we won't ever know until we put our necks out on the line to try it. But let's think about it. At present, what are we doing as a church to empower people, in particular the poor? Well, I can't think of many examples. I mean, that's probably because it's not easy. It's not something that just happens. It usually means getting involved, either self-motivation or, or with an independent group or working with them to, to help the poor grow and better themselves. Yeah, it requires commitment and endurance through the hard times, but at the end of it all, for what reason are we doing it? Is it for their survival, their comfort? We need to know that it's all for the right reasons, and our right reasons are by God, and that in itself should give us the motivation and the confidence and the discipline and the strength to get along with it. But truthfully, I can't honestly think of many examples of our church empowering the poor. Now, there may be individuals here who are working in that area. Maybe they feel they're working as part of the church. But if they are, I'm not aware of it. Though I do remember a while back something about a chicken coop going on. Was that Cor- Corin and Martin with a chicken coop? Chicken a chicken farm. That's, that's, that's the only thing I can remember of, uh, of us helping out there. So is this an area we need to do more in? I mean, I think we can afford to. Even if I'm wrong, and there are all sorts of things going on behind the scenes that I don't know about, examples of us serving and empowering the poor, I still think we can do more. Unless people can give examples to prove me wrong, I think it's an area that we as a church rather fall on. Not because we don't want to do it, but perhaps because we haven't considered it, or, or the opportunity hasn't really presented itself. But I, I think something that we as a church are really rising to, is the second part of my preach, to be a church which is serving and empowering the poor beyond its own ranks. Now what does that mean? Well I interpreted it as, uh, as this, something beyond the ranks of the church, as I see it, is something that we're not necessarily in control of. Uh, maybe through churches that we have connections with, that if they do work in empowering the poor we get alongside, help them directly or indirectly, but I don't think it is. I mean I think if something is out of our control, then it's got to be in God's control. And in what form does empowerment come in if it's beyond our ranks? My guess is spiritually. Spiritual authority. When I last preached, there was a general buzz about getting in touch with the Holy Spirit. Now, there was a huge wave of want to get to know God on a supernatural level. I think we as a church, A, trying to get into that supernatural without fear or trepidation, and B, I think we, we want to do it more. But I think that physically, non-supernaturally, we're only just starting to walk. I mean, I think we're running with the whole supernatural thing. I think people look at us and say, whatever they've got, I want it. But I don't know that we do enough as humans to make the supernatural worthwhile. And I, I mean, I, I don't want to, to demean God and his powers, make them redundant by saying that they're not enough without our human influence. Because... The fact of the matter is, we can live on God's power forever and, and for eternity, and we will. But if we're to empower the poor, asking God to touch these people and then sitting back isn't going to be the answer. God is in us, so we must take God to them. You know, Tim goes to football nearly every week. He doesn't empower the lads at football in any way, I don't think, except socially, as far as Tim's capabilities lie as a human being. And I don't know many of the lads who, get, lads who go to football, but I doubt that they're poor in their social life. So, where are they poor? 
In what ways are these guys poor? Likewise, Carrie empowers the ladies that flourish in a business sense. But I don't know that, that these women are poor in their business lives. So in what way are these women poor? And I think the same is going to be said for plugged in. I don't think the youth are terribly poor. In a material sense. The fact of the matter is they're poor because they don't have God. You know, Carrie and the church ladies alongside her are speaking into the lives of every woman that flourished. The Holy Spirit has stepped in, given her words to speak, that it might give authority to those who haven't yet known God, given the power of the Holy Spirit. Tim can speak the truth into the lives of the lads at football. And by that he's empowering them, because if they haven't got God, then they are poor. Tim and Carrie, amongst many others, are empowering the poor by, by the authority given them by Jesus. You know, Luke 9 1 says, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And the same said in Matthew 10 1. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits to heal every disease and sickness. And I think it's that simple. You empower those with the same authority that was given to you when you became a Christian. And like I say, I think we're good at that. But what about those who really are poor? Yeah, those who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Who don't know if they're going to last another night on the street. A couple of weeks ago, during, uh, during my performance week, uh, Wife Begins at 40, um, I was going to the car about half past ten in the evening, on my own in the middle of the town centre. As I reached the car, I was approached by two men both probably reaching about 30, each had a hoodie on, and they were smoking and, and walking with that stance that says, you know, get out of my way or I'll put you in hospital. So I ignored them. Now, I wasn't particularly scared, but I, I tend to ignore people I pass at that time of the evening. And one of them comes over to me. He says, excuse me, could you do me the biggest favour? And I think he's going to ask me to stand still while he stabs me. Could you give us a quick, because I've got to get to Mexbury, he says. Panic over. I can deal with people like this. I have a knack that I've perfected over many years. You know, a pound isn't a vast amount. I can sacrifice for the chance to speak into this man's life. So I say, I'll give you a pound if you tell me what your view on life is. I was well aware that the last guy who, who I'd asked this question to, after he wanted money from me, uh, spent the next hour and a half talking to me about uh, how his life was at that time, how he wants to plant for his new flat, so on and so forth. Now I'm actually on a time schedule at this point because I've got to pick up Abby from the theatre in about five minutes' time. So he, uh, he says, my view on life. And he looks at his friend and they're both really intrigued. Uh, and then he starts swearing an awful lot. Um, his extensive vocabulary is quite astounding. Uh, but his friend turns to me and says, you just live day by day, don't you? That's it. And I thought, the things we could do for these men they feel their lives are pointless. Well, that's what I gathered from all the, the, the taboo language that was coming out of his mouth. We could show them that their lives are not pointless. We could show them that they're loved. And then they did what no other person has ever done. They asked me what my view on life was. Now, I needed to get going, so I thought I'd leave them with something to chew on. And I said, I live my life day by day knowing that God loves me. And then I gave him the pound, drove off, and immediately wished I'd said, and he loves you too. Which I didn't do. But I did what I normally do, instinctively. 
I know not everyone can do it. And back in Bedford, when randomers would come up to me and, and uh, ask me for money, I, people admired me for the fact that I could just strike up this conversation. But I didn't do it for their admiration. I did it because I wanted to know these people. I wanted them to know that someone was genuinely interested in them. But I look back on all those occasions when I spoke to them and I, I think to myself, did I say the right thing? Did I sow the seed deep enough? These people wanted to talk to me. Did I do enough? Was the initial conversation enough? Or did I need to keep it going? Yeah, this guy was poor on more than just a spiritual level. He'd walked from Kirk Sandal into town because he had no other way of getting there. He had a child who he wasn't allowed to see. He was spending his evenings down the pub, or God forbid, doing drugs. Did I do enough? But I mean, we're all going to ask ourselves these sort of questions, and most of us will say that in a situation like that, I talk to them. That'll probably be enough. Talking is the physical element, often the initial motion. It's the serving to an extent. You've helped by listening and helping out verbally. It's an important factor, but it doesn't solve all the problems. God may have worked in that conversation that I had with the guy there, but what's to say that in that instant, that guy had a realisation that life wasn't all it was cracked up to be? Without God. And then when I left, he returned to his dark world, and what I gathered was loneliness. And he's not going to be the only one. What are we as a church going to do for all the people in Doncaster who, who are in his position? What are we going to do for all the people across the globe who are in his position? I mean, there are people on our front door who, who may have a home. They may have a, a PlayStation, six-pack of beer. They might have a wardrobe full of clothes, two kids, a job in a recession. But spiritually, they could be just as poor as a lady in Africa who wakes up every morning with no idea how to feed herself or her family for the day. What are we as a church going to do for all these people? Is it something that we as a church want to discuss? Seriously. Because if it is, we need to get something going. I mean, I don't want to stand here wasting my time and energy talk, to talking about how we should have a hand in helping people and then us not doing anything about it. You know, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not saying that the church is lazy or anything like that. But we're, we're going through the vision and values of this church. And we can't overlook one because we don't feel we're ready yet. Because if we do that, we give ourselves the opportunity to overlook the rest. And then the church would have no established foundations. 2 Corinthians 10.8 says, I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. The fact of the matter is, we are ready. We have the authority. Some of us have seen healings. Some of us have seen miracles. We're a church of 30 or so people, and God is with us every week. The Holy Spirit is moving in us regularly. We're ready to do this. I mean, it's a big step. There's no doubt about that. But if we want to do something together as a church to empower the poor, whether it be here in Doncaster, somewhere in the UK, worldwide, we need to sit down and, as a church, decide what we're going to do. It's not going to happen if we work alone, as individuals, but together as a church, as a family, together with people of different nations, together with God, change can be made. God isn't going to do it of his own accord. He wants us to bring him along for the ride. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.